For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello everyone, Stakuya here. And I'm Gabby. Yes, indeed, Gabby is back. I- I'm just going to say this before everything begins. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for all of your love, your support, your kind words, just everything. Really, it was kind of overwhelming for the past couple weeks just with the sheer amount, the, the outpouring of love. Every message. OK, Gabby, this is going to sound a little bit odd. Every single message that I got on the YouTube channel, which, yes, there is a history of everything podcast YouTube channel. If you didn't know that almost Every comment that I got on some of the videos was just, oh, we miss Gabby. Where's Gabby? I came over from the podcast just to tell you, we miss Gabby. People, people really liked you. Well, I, I wasn't sure. Sometimes the negativity can outweigh the positivity so, because the negativity can be really loud. And I'm really conscious of what people like. And I know I can be a little bit much. So I just didn't want to annoy the listeners. Well, Gabby. You always annoy me, but it's like it's like that kind of scab that's on your knee that you know you shouldn't pick, but you really pick anyway because you just really want to. I want to respond to that, but I have absolutely no idea what to say. Snake, are you okay? Snake? Snake? A few moments later. But before we begin, there are a couple things that we need to go ahead and get out of the way. First things first, this month's audiobook book club is going to be Furs, Fortune, and Empire, which is on sale right now for only $2.99. We are going to be doing a podcast episode for that on, what day was it, the 23rd? Yeah, the 23rd. The 23rd. Okay, so the 23rd was Friday, and that is when we are going to be releasing that episode. Get the audiobook before that, because it's on sale for only $2.99. And guys, I, I love this time period. I love looking at all this stuff. This is going to be some fun. So make sure to get it so that you're going to be able to follow along. Second thing, of course, as I mentioned previously, we have the History of Everything podcast YouTube channel. Do check that out because that's where you're going to be able to get more visual representations of what it is that we do on here. We're going to be telling stories. We're going to be having some fun with it. Third thing, if you want to support our channels, if you want to support the podcast, if you want to support us, there are two ways in which you can do so. You can actually wait three ways, I guess. Listen, don't turn away. I know that you're thinking about changing the channel right now, so don't do that. Second thing is that you can go ahead and subscribe to our Patreon for just a dollar a month. That is going to give you access to bonus episodes as well as ad free episodes. And the final way in which you can support us is by buying our coffee. There is a history of everything podcast coffee called Lewis and Dark, which tastes like chocolate and is delicious. Is there anything else that I'm forgetting here, Gabby? How much you love me? I will never forget that, because the answer is some. I wouldn't do that if I were you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? yeah, it's some. Like, you don't know if that's one or if you don't know if it's a million. Like, that's some. There's a quantity. Okay, anyway, what's the episode today? Okay, today's episode, 
for anyone that might be uh, somehow not aware of it. I don't know why anyone would possibly not be aware of it unless they have zero access to any kind of news sources. Queen Elizabeth II died. She died here, what is it now, September 8th? It was while we were in Europe. It was a really weird thing that it's like, for the longest time, there's been this meme of, ah, yes, Queen Elizabeth, there's no way she, is, she will outlive all of us. It's like, for as long as the majority of people on Earth have lived, Queen Elizabeth II has been the queen of the United Kingdom. Like, at one point, the largest empire in history. Like, she is the figure that brought all of it into the modern era. And she's gone now. It's really weird to think. Gabby, Gabby, your family is from Trinidad. Trinidad was a British colony. Yeah, they celebrated their 60 years of independence um, on August 31st. So that's huge. I'm pretty sure she was the monarch who gave their independence. Yeah, I mean, she was during that. She's been queen since we're going to cover it in here. But 1953 is I believe that's when she was officially coronated. So it's it's really crazy because when was Trinidad given its independence? It was 1962. Yeah, I think it was 1962 or 1960 somewhere. Uh, Yeah, 1962. 60 years. It is really wild. For as long as any of us can remember, she has been the queen and she's gone. I mean, I say the queen. It's like, I'm in America right now. We're, we're Americans. So it's like, nah, we, 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 we don't have no monarch. I swear to God, no, we don't got no monarch. Stop. Listen, I'm going to make voices. It's one of the things that I'm going to do. Okay. But no, it, it's a really odd feeling still, especially being on the internet and just seeing the sheer amount of memes and different things that were created. But let's. Let's get into this. Let's go ahead and tell the story of Queen Elizabeth because she actually has a rather interesting one. It is very likely that she never would have actually been a monarch if it was not for a couple things happening by circumstance and luck. So let's get into this story. So Elizabeth II, in full, Elizabeth Alexandra Mary, officially Elizabeth II, by the grace of Britain and Northern Ireland and of other realms and territories, Queen, head of the Commonwealth, defender of the faith, ruler of the largest empire in history, she was born on April 21st, 1926 in London, England, and died September 8th at Balmoral Castle in Aberdeenshire, Scotland. She was Queen of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland from February 6th, 1952 to September 8th, 2022. In 2015, she surpassed Victoria, Queen Victoria, to become the longest reigning monarch in British history. Not the longest reigning monarch in history, though, but in British history. I believe the longest one was, was it Louis XV? It was a French king. It was one of the Louis. I can say, oh, King Louis, and I could be talking about like 50 different ones. That's just kind of how it goes. It's like with the British George or Henry. Also, you could be referring to Charles, French Henry. William. Well, actually, ironically enough, Charles, uh, who is going to be like her uh, her son, King, or now he's going to be King Charles. It's King Charles III. There was only two other Charles before this. And but it didn't go well for the two Holy others. crap, no, it didn't. I can tell that story for another future one. Another one. But uh, the gist of it was both of them got ex- executed. That was back during the time of um, England converting from Catholicism to Protestantism and that whole messy period. Hey, we don't do monarch executions anymore so i'm pretty sure this one's gonna go great i mean we don't 
necessarily, but other places do. There have been there have been uprisings and, and things all over the world. So to get into this, as I said previously, it's been basically a meme for many years as to who was going to pass first. Do you get me? Do you remember that whole thing with like Elizabeth II or Betty White? And it's like, oh, what was going to happen? Which one was going to outlast the other? And it's like they were treated as a kind of primordial being that was going to outlast all of human history. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the gist is both are gone. It's a really weird feeling. Like both of these people are gone and it feels odd making a podcast about that now. That's really sad. We should have a Betty White podcast one day. Oh, you know, she probably does deserve one. That is a pretty good idea. Yeah, yeah. Betty White does deserve one. This whole thing is almost surreal because for as long as you and I and pretty much anyone that is listening to this can remember, I don't think we have many centarians that are over 100 years old listening in on this. But for as long as any of us can remember, Elizabeth II has been queen and her name is synonymous with the monarchy and has been a continuous presence throughout the entire modern era. With her gone, I, I can't really say what is actually going to happen next. So I figured that I would tell you all her story in full. As I said, she was born on April 21st, 1926, as Elizabeth Alexandra Mary. She was the elder daughter of Prince Albert, who was the Duke of York, and his wife, Lady Elizabeth Bowes Lyon. She apparently, at that point, had very little hope or chance of assuming the throne because her father was the younger son of King George V. So by order of succession, it should not have ever gone to her. But in late 1936, her uncle, King Edward VIII, he abdicated the throne in order to marry an American divorcee named, by the name of Wallace Simpson. And as a result of that, which was a huge scandal, her father became King George VI and 10-year-old Lilibet, as she was known within the family, she became the heir presumptive to the throne. And guys, I need to tell you about this, this story. Gabby, do you know the story about uh, King George VI and how that whole thing happened? I don't know how familiar you are necessarily with the monarch stories. Did they cover that extensively in Trinidad? Like with I have no idea, because it's insane to me that he would abdicate the throne. For love. It's like literally the opposite of marrying into royalty, as you see so much of that stuff with like dramas and things. It's giving up the throne for love. Well, I thought it was just dramatic when Prince Harry did it, but if someone else did it before. Yeah, so let me let me let me let me go through this whole thing. So Edward, he was born in 1894 and he was the eldest son of King George V, who became the British sovereign in 1910. He was still unmarried as he approached his 40th birthday. So what he ended up doing, what he wanted to do was he was the guy who would socialize with all the fashionable people in London society. And by 1934, he had fallen deeply in love with the American socialite Wallace Warfield Simpson, who at the time, she was a married woman. She was married to Ernest Simpson, who was an English and American businessman who lived with Miss Simpson near London. And Wallace, who was born in Pennsylvania, had previously been married before and divorced a U.S. Navy pilot. So this, she was already on her second marriage. And mind you, this is in the 1930s. To be on your second marriage already was, I mean, that was a big deal to be a divorcee. To be a twice divorcee. Now, that was just scandalous. Wait, but she wasn't divorced yet. She was still married, right? Okay, well, yes, but we're going to get into that. So 
before like they they started being t- together they had an affair basically you you had the you had this prince and you had her who were having an affair together and by 1936 the prince was very intent on marrying miss simpson but before he could discuss his intentions with his father george v the guy died he died in january of 1936 and edward was proclaimed as king now the new king was popular with his subjects, and his coronation was scheduled for May 1937. His affair with Miss Simpson was reported in the American journals and on continental European newspapers, but there was a kind of gentleman's agreement between the British press and the government, and the whole affair was kept out of British newspapers. People in the country didn't really know about it, and this is before the age of internet, so people didn't know nearly as much if it wasn't literally in the press. What is a gentleman's agreement? Basically, it was... um. For the sake of not screwing each other over, like the British government will not take action against you. You don't do anything with the story. Just leave it as is. Just ignore it, basically. Do you think they can still do that today with even with the Internet? They technically can, but it's a lot harder to do so because the company itself could decide to not do something. But an individual employee Within the company, even back then, the, an individual person could go to the press, but with the age of internet, you don't need a major publication behind you. You can simply take whatever thing you have and just put it out on the internet. Like, look at TikTok. Look at look at this. Like, any person could just record an interaction with someone, like secretly record it and upload it to potentially a hundred or a million people. You never really know. It could go anywhere. So back in the day, they didn't really have that option. It was all based on the newspaper, and that's what the British government did. That affair was kept out of the newspapers. But on October 27, 1936, Miss Simpson obtained a preliminary decree of divorce, presumably at the time with the intent of marrying the king, which, of course, that was going to be a massive, massive scandal. To the Church of England and most of British politicians, an American woman who was twice divorced, there was no way this person was going to be acceptable as a British queen. Like, that just, no, that was not good. Winston Churchill, who was then a, um, he was a conservative member, he was the only notable politician there who tried to support King Edward. And so despite this huge front of the public, the politicians, literally everyone was against him. King Edward would not be dissuaded. So at first, he proposed a morganatic marriage, which what that is, that is when uh, the person that you're marrying basically would not be granted any kind of rights. It's like, um, I say rights like, a, like royal rights. So let's say I was a king and I married you, Gabby. It means that you, you would just be my wife. You wouldn't be queen. You would just be the wife. Like, you'd have no royal titles. Liz, I can see the look on your face the right now. The politics of this is angering. Like, why can they just tell him he can't marry someone? Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the gist of it. So Wallace, in that situation, would be granted no rights of rank or property or anything. But on December 2nd, Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin rejected the suggestion as just impractical and, I guess, kind of stupid. Like, how you just thought of it right here. It just seems dumb. So Stanley Baldwin rejects it. And the next day, the scandal then breaks on the front pages of the British newspapers, 
and was discussed openly in Parliament. This is so dramatic. Oh no, it's so incredibly dramatic. Like literally this pr plays out like a drama because it is a, this was a drama in real life. But could you imagine Parliament is like, do you think it's appropriate for him to marry an American divorcee? Absolutely not. Yeah, and uh, you've seen the video of the stuff that happens in America, not American, in British Parliament. And in comparison to what it looks like within like the American Congress, Hey everyone, it's Takuya here, and before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. British Parliament is... Have any of you seen that? You all, you all know what I'm talking about. If you just look, listen to, um, not listen, or just look into and watch the stuff that happens in British Parliament, it almost plays out like a, like a roast session, like in Comedy Central Roast, where each person is getting jabs at one another, and not in the hoity-toity, oh, yes, no, that is against our values for this. No, in, we're talking just straight-up insults at each other. It is kind of hilarious to watch. It can get very aggressive in Parliament. So I can only imagine what kind of crap was going down during this huge, huge scandal. So with no resolution possible, the king then renounced the throne on December 10th, and the very next day, Parliament approves the abdication instrument, and Edward VIII's reign comes to an end. The new king, George VI, then made his older brother the Duke of Windsor, and on June 3rd, 1937, the Duke of Windsor and Wallace Warfield married at the Chateau de Cannes in France's Loire Valley. For the next two years, the Duke and the Duchess lived primarily in France, but they visited other European countries, including Germany, where the Duke was honored by Nazi officials, and in October of 1937, met with Adolf Hitler. After the outbreak of World War II, the Duke accepted a position as liaison officer within the French, and in June of 1940, France fell to the Nazis. This caused Edward and Wallace to go to Spain, and during that period, the Nazis had this whole massive scheme, right? So they wanted to kidnap Edward with the intention of returning him to the British throne as a puppet king. George VI, like, like his prime minister, Winston Churchill, he was very opposed to any kind of peace deal with the Nazis and unaware of the Nazi kidnapping plot, but very aware that Edward did have pre-war Nazi sympathies Churchill hastily tried to offer Edward the governorship of the Bahamas in the West Indies. So they were like, you know what, sure, okay, we'll do that. The Duke and the Duchess then set sail from Lisbon on August 1st, 1940, narrowly escaping a Nazi SS team that was sent there to seize them. Like, this was one of the grand plans that Hitler had, was to basically replace and put a puppet king on the throne. This is straight up playing out like a James Bond movie. American divorcee, abdicating the throne, tried to get kidnapped by the Nazis. It, it literally plays out like some kind of drama, like grand war drama, does it not? It really does. Like, this is fascinating to listen to. So, yeah, that goes on. The war happens. And then in 1945, the Duke resigns from his post and the couple moves back to France. 
They lived mainly in France, and Edward made a few visits to England, such as to attend the funerals of George VI in 1952, and then his mother, Queen Mary, in 1953. But that is our jumping point for Elizabeth. I, I know I went on this kind of this whole story, but I really wanted to explain that because it's such an entertaining, weird little thing that happened. Well, it plays out like, I guess, very similar to the Harry Meghan Markle situation. Unless theirs is less dramatic, but the newspapers tend to make it seem just as dramatic. So it is interesting to hear and see the comparison. God, imagine if like Henry and Markle, what if, what if they were... Harry. Ha ha oh, I said Henry. Sorry, I'm thinking of like so many of the different King Henrys of, like throughout the history. Okay, so Harry... And Markle, right? What if, what if this was the situation in which like they're getting kidnapped by, I don't know, ISIS agents or something like that, and then trying to get them out of the Middle East or something? That would be insane. That would be the modern day equivalent if that was the case. It's really weird to think about, but that, that's what it was in the 40s. But anyway, back to Elizabeth. So as Elizabeth was growing up, her father and mother divided their time between their home in London and Royal Lodge, which was the family's home and grounds of the Windsor Great Park. So Elizabeth and her younger sister, Margaret, they were educated at home by tutors and they had academic courses, including French, mathematics, history, basically everything, along with dancing, singing and art lessons. It was the perfect noble upbringing. And with the outbreak of World War II in 1939, Elizabeth and her sister largely stayed out of London, having been relocated to Windsor Castle. From there, she made the first of her famous radio broadcast in 1940 and with this particular speech, reassuring the children of Britain who had been evacuated from their homes and families. This was all back during like the, the, like the London Blitz when everything was being bombed, so people were sending their children to live out in the countryside to be safe. The 14-year-old princess showed that she was calm, she had a firm personality, and she told them that in the end, all will be well, for God will care for us and give us victory and peace. Over time, she started taking on other kind of public duties. She was appointed colonel-in-chief of the Grenadier Guards by her father. She made her first public appearance inspecting the troops in 1942. And she began, over time, to accompany her parents on official visits within Britain. In 1945, Elizabeth then joined the Auxiliary Territorial Service in order to help in the war effort, though at this time it was starting to come to a close. She trained side by side with other British women to become an expert driver and a mechanic. Now, while her volunteer work only lasted a few months, it did let her kind of see what the world was like outside of royalty. She had another experience outside of the monarchy when she and Margaret were allowed to mingle among all the different people when you had the huge celebrations of Victory in Europe Day. So if we fast forward two years... In 1947, soon after the royal family returned from an official visit to South Africa and Rhodesia, they then announced Elizabeth's engagement to Prince Philip of Greece, who was her third cousin. Gabby, this is the thing that you were asking me about before, like, oh my god, were they cousins? Which, like, yes, if you're looking at nobility and especially royalty throughout human history, I can assure you in many, many cases, they are probably somewhat distantly related. In this case, um, they weren't first cousins or second cousins, which is what I had initially thought. No, they were third cousins because they were both the great-great-grandchildren of Queen Victoria. It's really funny, actually, where you look at the events from World War I, and the, the um, Victoria was the grandmother 
essentially, of all like the three major powers there of Britain, Germany, and in Russia. Like they, they were all cousins. They were all related. It's really weird when you look at these dynamics of relations and, and in history. So he was a lieutenant in the Royal Navy, and she had set her sights on him when she was only 13 because she just fell in love. It was like love at first sight. And over time, their relationship would develop through visits and correspondence and everything during the war. Though a lot of people at the time viewed Philip as a um, not exactly a good match. The reason was because he wasn't prominent nobility necessarily. He didn't really have much money and he was foreign, quote unquote, because he had more German blood. Elizabeth was determined, though, and she was very much in love and insisted that they were going to do it. So she and Philip wed on November 20th, 1947, at Westminster Abbey. Their first son, Charles, who was the Prince of Wales, was then born in 1948, and they had a daughter, Anne, who was Princess Royal, that arrived two years later. They got straight down to business. You said Westminster Abbey? It's Westminster. Westminster. I've always said that for years. Sorry, that's my bad. Westminster. It sounds so much better to say Westminster, though. You're American. I'll excuse you. It flows so much you. better. It really does, in my opinion. But that's essentially what happened. Elizabeth and Philip were married for an extraordinary 73 years. That being, of course, until the prince died in April 2021 at the age of 99. Whoa, wait. He... They were married for 73 years? 73 years. Like, it was a very, very long time. And he was only like five years older than her? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, five, was it five years? 99? Well, she was 96 when she died, right? And he was 99 and he died last year. Wait, I confused myself. I think it is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's, he was either four or five years older, unless I'm doing the math wrong and confusing myself, but... Yeah, that is still a very long time, especially for men. Men don't typically live as long as women. So the fact that he lived that long is really something like that is genuinely impressive. So that was in the 40s. By the early 50s, though, there was going to be some big changes because her father's health started to really decline in 1951. So Elizabeth began to step in for him at various state functions. And after spending that Christmas with the royal family, Elizabeth and Philip then left to have a tour of Australia and New Zealand, and they made a stop at Kenya en route. They were actually in Kenya on February 6th, 1952, when King George VI just died. And at this point, it wasn't poisoning, it wasn't anything dramatic, it was simply lung cancer. It was something that ended up taking him. And so his 25-year-old daughter became the sixth woman in history to ascend the British throne. Her formal coronation as Queen Elizabeth II then took place on June 2nd, 1953. So it's kind of funny how this, this whole thing happens. I say fun, funny, it's more like weird. So when the king dies, the next ruler is the king or queen. But they're not the official head of state until they're actually coronated. Until then, they're the, um, it's like the king or queen regent, I believe is the term that they would use. But that is when that happened. The interesting thing about her coronation is that for the first time ever, that ceremony was broadcast all over television, allowing people from all across the world to 
see what kind of crazy spectacle this was. You, you have to remember, this was a huge point. Televisions were not very common. A lot of people had radios, but we we think about the uh, the early American cartoons and everything where it's like, you know, Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes and all that stuff that was somewhat fairly common because America was the first one to really develop that stuff. It is only going into the 50s that television started to become more common in other countries, but not nearly as many people had them. So for a broadcast publicized, pro I say production, not production, what's the term? It would just be a broadcast. broadcast. It would just be, uh, yeah, it would just be a broadcast. This was a really big deal. Is this why people felt so connected to her? Because for the first time ever, they could watch her journey, like the monarch's journey, up close. Like you almost can see what they're doing. Well, that is kind of one of the reasons. And we are going to get into it because she made the monarchy way more personal. Like relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She opened it up to a lot more people. And we're really going to get into that because she, she did quite a bit. So beginning in November of 1953... The Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh, they made a six-month around-the-world tour of the Commonwealth, which included the first visit to Australia and New Zealand by a reigning British monarch that had never been done before. And in 1957, after state visits to many different European nations, she and the Duke visited Canada and the United States. In 1961, she made the first Royal British tour of the Indian subcontinent in 50 years, and she was also the first reigning British monarch to visit South America in 1968 and the Persian Gulf countries in 1979. During her Silver Jubilee, which I believe that is the 25-year reign mark, she presided at a London banquet attended by the leaders of all 36 members of the Commonwealth and traveled all over Britain and Northern Ireland and toured overseas in the South Pacific and Australia, as well as Canada and the Caribbean. Okay, common. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, no, it's a fine. The, the Commonwealth, for anyone that might be confused with that explanation, the British Empire was the largest empire in history. But after World War I, it turned away from the imperial system of control to regional autonomy and the Commonwealth. The idea being is that you have all of these nations that are part of the British Empire, but they are separate, independent countries. Their foreign policy, everything that they have, still technically aligns with the British Empire, which is the lead of it. But they, all their domestic policy, everything that they're doing on the ground, that is something that they control and manage themselves. So it's through the Commonwealth idea that Britain was able to maintain onto its empire for a longer period of time. So you have all of these countries that are independent, essentially, but still tied to the British crown and consider the queen to be the head of state. This is why how we, if you go to say Canada and there's there was still coinage and everything that is Queen Elizabeth II that is on it. Canada is a completely independent country, but it's still part of the Commonwealth where the head of state is the queen. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just got a little bit confused because it, it also included a lot of uh Caribbean nations, but I wasn't sure if the ones that gained their independence were still included. I was just confused a little. Yeah, th their ties really depends because there used to be more Commonwealth. I believe there was like 50 something Commonwealth nations and reduced because some just completely cut ties with the crown. Yeah, that's what confused me because like 
they could have been former uh, colonies or former realms, but they could still be part of the Commonwealth even if they were independent. So that's why I was a little confused. Yeah, it gets it gets really messy when it comes to international politics, because that's kind of what happens when any kind of politics is introduced. It really is. So on the ascension of Queen Elizabeth, her son, Prince Charles, became the heir apparent, and he was named the Prince of Wales on July 26, 1958, and was so invested on July the 1st, 1969, the Queen's other children were Princess Anne, uh, who was born August 15th, 1950, and created Princess Royal in 1987. You had Prince Andrew, who was born on February 19th, 1960, and made Duke of York in 1986, and Prince Edward, who was born on March 10th, 1964, and made the Earl of Wessex and Viscount Severn in 1999. All of these children had the surname of Windsor, but in 1960, Elizabeth decided to create the hyphenated name of Mountbatten Windsor for other descendants who are not stylized prince or princess or some other kind of royal title, which you might wonder, why would they do that? Well, it's kind of interesting. This is a little funny tidbit here. Okay, so Gabby, uh, why, why can I not remember the original name? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why that's going to bother me. Uh, it's like, um, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't write that down. It's going to bother me. But the, you know how the British world is like the Windsors, right? Yeah, Windsor Castle. Right. So the Windsor, that is, a, that is a name that they adopted because that wasn't the original British royal family name. And the reason for that was because the British royal family is German. So they adopted the Windsor last name, essentially, like that as their title because historically britain had had some issues with germany for the previous 50 years wait i need you to go back you said the british royal family is german i knew that but they were also upset when elizabeth chose prince philip yes that's like because he was german yeah the monbatten family so it was a german clan just like the the british one was uh was hanover that it was like of hanover i believe I'm sorry, I'm completely confused. Yes, welcome to politics, especially when it comes to royal family and lineage and everything like that. It gets very confusing very fast. Also, sorry to uh, take you back to this, but Trinidad is still a member of the Commonwealth, and that's why I was so confused because it Oh, so you just looked it up? Yeah, it's also independent, and I remember that. That's what I was going to interrupt and say, oh yeah, Trinidad is a part of the Commonwealth, but then I second-guessed it because I was like, wait, no, they're independent. It's very confusing. Yeah, so that's, you see exactly what it is that I'm talking about then. So she does this whole thing with the Windsor titles, allowing them to hyphenate their name because there's a normalization of relations and a modernization of the old ways of monarchy, essentially, to open and make it more accessible to the public. It it doesn't matter as much anymore. They then had their first grandchild, which was Prince Anne's son, who was born on November 15th, 1977. So in her first decade of her reign, Elizabeth settled into her role as queen. She developed a very close bond with Prime Minister Winston Churchill, who was the first of 15 prime ministers that she would work with during her reign. This weathered 
all kinds of issues that they faced, including the massive Suez crisis of 1956, along with a whole bunch of international trips. For anyone that is confused and doesn't know what I'm talking about, the Suez crisis or the second Arab-Israeli war, it is also called the tripart aggression in the Arab world and was the Sinai war in Israel. This was an invasion of Egypt in the late 1956 by Israel, followed by the United Kingdom and France. It gets really, really messy. I'm probably going to need to do a whole episode on that. But that was a big issue for Britain because that Suez crisis expedited the quote-unquote fall of the empire as it was a big kind of national embarrassment. Elizabeth's long and mostly peaceful reign was just filled with all kinds of different changes for her people's lives and for her country, for everything, how Britain was viewed abroad, how the monarchy was going to be portrayed, everything. Because for anyone that doesn't know, because they think of Britain as, as a democracy, it is, but also no, it, it, what it is is a constitutional monarchy. You see, Elizabeth is the queen. She is the ruler of the country, but she did not weigh in on political matters. Very, very few times did she ever step in on anything with politics. She would regularly confer with her prime ministers, but for the most part, the monarchy was not a part of British politics. It just, it just wasn't. So when Elizabeth became queen, post-war Britain still technically had a fairly substantial empire. It had a lot of dominions. It had a lot of dependencies. It was still a powerful state, at least on paper. But many of these during the 1950s and 1960s, a lot of those possessions gained independence from the British Empire, like Trinidad, and evolved into the Commonwealth of Nations. Elizabeth II thus made visits to other countries as the head of the Commonwealth and as a representative of Britain, including many groundbreaking trips, such as when she went to Germany in 1965, and she became the first British monarch to make a state visit there in more than five decades. Because, historically, Britain, um, Britain, Britain has had some issues with Germany, just like many other countries in the past. That is the thing that has happened. During the 1970s and the 1980s, Elizabeth continued to travel extensively all over the world. In 1973, she attended the Commonwealth Conference in Ottawa, Canada. And in 1976, she traveled to the United States for the 200th anniversary celebration of America's independence from Britain, which I can only imagine for some people was fairly awkward. But I just find it funny because she just went everywhere. She did everything. She celebrated everyone. More than a week later, she was in Montreal, Canada to open the Summer Olympics. And in 1979, she traveled to Kuwait, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates, Oman, all of the countries there that were like the massive oil producers, which gained huge amounts of international attention and widespread respect because she was just so busy. She did everything. She was doing everything herself and always traveling. Now, there was some issues, like it wasn't like it was all fun and games. There were some things that really scared her and other people. Like in 1982, Elizabeth was really worried because her second son, Prince Andrew, was a helicopter pilot in the British Royal Navy during the Falklands War. Britain went to war with Argentina over the Falkland Islands back in 1982, which was a clash that lasted for several weeks. More than 250 British soldiers died in the conflict, but 
Luckily, Prince Andrew did return home safe, which was a huge relief to his mother. Oh, fun fact. Prince Andrew is going to be taking care of the queen's corgis, the two that she had left. Oh, yes. No, that's a, that's one of the other details that we're going to be covering, covering in here, because a lot of people have been wondering online. Oh, my God, what is going to happen to her dogs? So it is him that's going to be taking care of them? Yeah, that's what I heard this morning. Um, I confirmed it with a news article, but I hope the news article was 100% right. Yeah, that's that's another funny little tidbit about the monarchy, and we're going to cover that story here towards the end. The queen, as I said, was very, very aware that the monarchy was an old institution. It was an old, respectable institution, but it was something that needed to be modernized and expressed to the public because an old, decaying thing like the monarchy was not something that people would necessarily respect just by basis of its institution. It had to be involved in things. So they televised different aspects of the royal family's domestic life in the 1970s. And they started condoning the formal disillusion of marriages. Like, uh, I say marriages. It was like her sister's marriage in 1978 and different things to modernize the institution. Because before, remember that whole thing about her, uh, her uncle and a marriage to a divorcee and huge scandal? Like, divorce was not something that you just did for a monarch. I mean, you could in the case of Henry VIII, who divorced and executed many of his wives, but divorce was not a thing that was seen as good. It was not a thing that was seen as, like, it would, it would tarnish your reputation, effectively, if you got a divorce. But it's crazy because typically monarchs got married so young, so not allowing them to divorce it was, I don't know, it just sounds a little complicated. Well, I mean, many people, that was, it wasn't just for monarchs, it was for everyone. Like, the general gist of it in the early 1900s and the mid-1900s was that you just didn't divorce. When that became more normalized, it was a good thing. You can make arguments all you want about the modern era and how broken it can be now, but at the time, that was a really big step forward for people to be able to achieve some level of independence, and as a monarch, you didn't really get that option. Unless you were Henry VIII. Unless you were Henry VIII, but that's, that's a little bit more focused on, uh, uh, you know, when they say he, that you know, they lost their mind, it means that they, they lost their head, literally, because the heads got chopped off. But that's a whole other thing right there. I probably need to do something on Henry VIII here in the future. So anyway, there were a number of personal losses and issues and things that Elizabeth had to face, such as in 1979, Lord Mountbatten, who was her husband's uncle, died in a terrorist bombing. Mountbatten and several family members of his were aboard a boat on August 27th off the west coast of Ireland when the vessel exploded. He and three others, including one of his grandsons, were killed. And the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, which opposed British rule in Northern Ireland, took responsibility for the attack. In June of 1981, Elizabeth herself had her own dangerous encounter when she was riding in The Trooping the Colour, which is a, um, that is a special military parade to celebrate her official birthday, when a man in the crowd pointed a gun at her and fired, but fortunately the gun was loaded with blanks. Other than getting scared, th the queen was not hurt there. There was another close call the following year when an intruder broke into Buckingham Palace and confronted her inside of her bedroom. When the press got wind of the fact that Prince Philip was not there, like he wasn't in the bed with her, they, uh, there was this huge speculation about, oh, what was going on with the royal family? What was going on with their marriage? 
which is a really interesting thing that, you know, for them to focus on, considering that an intruder broke into the home. That would be the last thing I think about. I'd be like, maybe he was napping in another room. It's a castle or something. I'm sure there are other rooms. Or you're like, maybe he's got a thing where he snores and had to go step out. Like, hell, you've seen what happens with me when it's like I'm coughing at night. I'm like, okay, I can't stay in here. I'm going to go sleep on the couch because I literally can't cough and shake the bed because I have a huge chest. You've seen how much I speak. Maybe there were corgis in the bed and he was like, I'm not sleeping next to these corgis. I don't know. But that's just the weirdest thing to speculate about. But yes, they did. Then, of course, more things are going to focus on the family because in 1981, there was um, there was there was the whole thing where Prince Charles wed Lady Diana Spencer at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Although the couple almost immediately had two sons, William and Harry, their marriage pretty much imploded, causing a lot of embarrassment for the queen and the entire royal family. In 1992, Elizabeth's 40 year on the throne and her family's honest horribles, according to a speech that she gave that November, both Charles and Diana and Prince Andrew and his wife, Sarah Ferguson, separated, while Prince Anne and her husband, Mark Phillips, divorced. So three of her children for the royal family were now going to be going through a divorce. In fact, there was a whole thing of um, the, the one that I actually know in detail with the uh, uh, Prince Andrew and his wife, Sarah Ferguson. So apparently, either video or photo came out of her being romantically involved with another man. They still live together. I learned that when I learned about the corgis. Wait, what? Yeah, so I think they're divorced, but they still reside together. I'm assuming they have very big houses, so it's not like they're in the same rooms. I'm... Yeah, okay, I'm very confused about that. Where I did, not, I did not even look into that part. I just saw this. I'm like, oh, man, that is a juicy detail. Again, I read that in the Daily Mail, so take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so besides the, uh, the drama of things that happen when it comes to the royal family, other things happened like a fire broke out at Windsor Castle that same year, which this led to this big outcry over the government using funds to restore the royal residence. So Queen Elizabeth agreed to pay taxes on her private income. Now, mind you, this was not required by British law. There are some very interesting things where because she is queen, Elizabeth II did not have a driver's license. She didn't need one. She was the queen. Why the, she didn't pay taxes. Why so, would she? She's the queen. So she just drove on the roads without a driver. Hey, that is so cool because you'll never have to have a hideous like driver's license photo. You don't. Did she have to follow road rules? She is the queen. Yes, she she's the queen, but I would assume that Actually, that's a good question. I don't know. If you don't have a driver's license, you can't get a ticket. Oh, my God. Wait, you're right. So if you can't get a ticket. Also, she's would- the queen. Who's yeah, but, giving the queen a ticket? But it's not an absolute monarchy. So what would what would happen in the event that she actually got pulled over? Has she ever been pulled? O- I need to look this up at some point. Did Queen Elizabeth II ever actually get pulled over? She drove pretty fast. I think if she ever got pulled over, she may have slowed down. I don't think she... I don't think you could give the Queen of England a parking ticket or a speeding ticket. I just don't think that's a thing. Interesting. So, okay, you have this whole whole thing with taxes, though, not required by British law, but she agrees to essentially pay taxes on her own income, which is a, a, a good thing, I guess. And then that will, in turn, allow her to receive some funds to rebuild the things that she's losing, because I guess because it, it's still, you know, the government's funds. 
At the time, mind you, we're not talking about a small amount of money. Her personal fortune was estimated to be $11.7 billion. And she just wasn't paying taxes on income. Is that more or less money than Jeff Bezos? I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. No, I'm pretty sure he... Pretty sure they have more. Like, when you actually look at the... Okay, look at this up right now. Look up ne- Jeff Bezos' net net worth. Le- like we're gonna we're gonna look this up right now live. Just get this get this thing done because it is. Oh yeah, no, that he is a lot more. Wow, I didn't even realize it was that much. One hundred and fifty three point two billion. But of course, the reason why they're looking at net worth is because you're looking at the ownership, and because he doesn't make that. It's that because he owns Amazon, Amazon is worth that much money. If it sold all of its properties and all of everything, then he would have that. But that means there would be no income. So that, that, cause that's kind of how that works. But that is still a ridiculous amount of money, like $11.7 billion. She also agreed at the time to open state rooms at Buckingham Palace to the public for an admission fee when she was not in residence. Like, imagine if we just, when we left, go to Europe and went, yeah, while we're gone, people can just walk in here and see our house. I would be so uncomfortable. Yeah, you would. But it's like, think of, think of like the cat hair that they would potentially get. Like they could take some as a souvenir from like the Ottoman. Anyway. <laughs> you I don't guess like that thought. safer for her. I'm allergic to the cat, so the thought of it is bugging me. But anyway. <laughs> it's okay. Then they remove the cat hair by taking it out. Her residence is guarded. So if she opened it up, it's still safe than ours would be if we opened ours up. This is, this is true. So more personal things happen because after Charles and Diana divorced in 1996, Diana remained very popular with the British and, of course, the international public. So when she had her tragic death the following year, there was a huge outpouring of shock, grief, and also outrage at the royal family for what the public saw as its ill treatment of her, the people's princess. Though Queen Elizabeth initially kept the family, including Prince William and Harry, out of the public eye, the unprecedented public response to Diana's death convinced her to return to London, make a televised speech about Diana, greet the mourners, and allow the Union Jack to fly at half-mast above Buckingham Palace. I don't necessarily know the details of what really went down between them. No one does precisely, but there is a lot of rumors. In fact, there's even things on the internet that are like the conspiracy theorists that say that Queen Elizabeth II has been assassinating people. Like, she's the one responsible for Diana. Those conspiracy theories and those speculation, they're always, they start off so 
normal and then they just keep going and you're like, wow, okay. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, Elizabeth really cared about the image of the monarchy. Like her popularity, the monarchy's popularity, everything. It was popular in the beginning, kind of subdued going into the 80s and 90s. But then it rebounded during the first decade of the 21st century. Though 2002 marked Queen Elizabeth's golden jubilee, which was 50 years on the throne, the death of her mother, who was the beloved queen mum and her sister early that year, it made everything really depressing for them. Like at this point, she is getting up there in age, and this is still 20 years ago. In 2005, the queen enjoyed public support when she gave her assent to Prince Charles once unthinkable marriage to his longtime love, Camilla Parker Bowles. I, I think I remember in 2005 when that happened because a whole bunch of people were, were, um, were like watching the varying things when it comes to the royal weddings and all the different stuff. Wait, did they have one? Or am I thinking of the one from like the 2010s? Wait, Gabby, why are you, why are you looking at me like that? What, what, what is it? <laughs> You're not going to say, what do you mean? Why, why are you stepping away from the mic? What are you doing? So, it, was that his mistress? I, I don't really remember. Was, is that his mistress? I'm not sure, but if his mistress became queen, I have some... Uh, are, you, are you planning a great escape or something? What are you doing? <laughs> it's just that one guy had to abdicate the throne in order to marry an American divorcee because she was divorced, but it turns out that Kamala is actually... The person that he had cheated with, allegedly, because Princess Diana was quoted saying there were three of us in this marriage because of Kamala and King Charles, Prince Char Charles. He's king now, right? Yes, he's king now, but it would have been prince. But she became queen. So it's just I mean, this is just a shock based on everything you told me about the royal family at the beginning. But it makes sense since they are modernizing. So. Happy. Oh, yes, modernizing with affairs and divorces and relationships, just like the rest of us common folk. <laughs> In her seventh decade on the throne, Queen Elizabeth presided over the pomp and circumstance of another royal wedding at Westminster Abbey, that of Prince William to Catherine Middleton in April of 2011. I remember when that happened. I was at, I think I was, no, no, I was at home. I believe my family went over to my aunt's house to watch it all together. And I was so confused. Like, why the hell does anyone care about watching this royal family? But for days, weeks, that's all that was on the news. It was all that was in the magazines, everywhere. I was just so confused. But that was a huge, huge event. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, who were next in line to become Britain's next king and queen, they continued the line of succession with their children, Prince George and Princess Charlotte, and Prince Louis. Now, a consistent presence by his wife's side and one of Britain's busiest royals for much of her reign, Prince Philip stepped down from his royal duties in 2017 at the age of 96. That same year, the royal couple celebrated 70 years of marriage, making theirs the longest union in the history of the British monarchy. Philip, of course, as I said earlier, died in 2021 at the age of 99. In May of 2018, Prince Harry wed the American actress Meghan Markle, who was a biracial divorcee who, well, I mean, 
by by doing that, that is a massive embrace of the modern era. It really indicates just how far along the royal family became. And this was, I mean, genuinely, that is something I can only imagine how that would have been, say, 50 years ago. It is insane to think about how far everything has come. The couple had a son, Archie Mountbatten-Windsor, in 2019, and a daughter, Lilibet Diana Mountbatten-Windsor, in 2021. Of course, rumors swirled at various times that Queen Elizabeth would step aside eventually and let Prince Charles take the throne. After all, he had been waiting for a very, very, very long time for the throne. In 2017, she delegated some of her official royal obligations, such as the official Remembrance Day ceremony, to him, fueling speculation that she was preparing to bequeath the throne to her eldest son. Instead, she remained a consistent, stable presence at the head of Britain's reigning family until her peaceful death in September of 2022, all at her beloved country residence, the Balmoral Castle. In the final years of her reign, she continued a lot of her official duties. She had public appearances, she spent plenty of time outside with her beloved dogs and horses, and two days before her death, she officially installed a new prime minister, Liz Truss. For much of her life, the queen was surrounded by dogs. So, so many dogs. She was especially known for her love of corgis, owning more than 30 descendants of the first corgi she received as a teenager until the death of the final one, Willow, in 2018. Like, Gabby, th like, think about this. Her first set of corgis she had, the corgis that came after are quite literally a royal line descended from that, th those first corgis. Okay, that's really sweet. She had more than 30. Which, I mean, 30 dogs over a seven, no, would that be an 80-year period? When did she first get her first set? It was as a teenager. So over an 80-year period, she had 30 dogs or something. I think that checks out. I mean, that is, that is quite a bit. After the death of her corgi Willow in 2018, it was reported that the queen was just, she was not going to get any more dogs, like she was done. But that changed because when her late husband, Philip, died in 2021 at 99, she, I mean, she was sad. So once again, she turned to corgis for comfort. On what would have been Philip's 100th birthday last year, the queen was reportedly given another dog. In addition to her human family, Elizabeth is survived now by two corgis, a dorgy, which is a dachshund corgi mix, and a cocker spaniel. And so now, I guess, as you were saying from the beginning, Prince Andrew is the one, not Prince Andrew. Wait, would it be? Yeah, no. Prince Andrew. Yeah, Prince Andrew is the one that is going to be taking care of those. Yep. But that is it. That's her story. There's probably a lot more that could be said about all the finer details. Like if I had, if I had like a book that went into extensive detail, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of biographies and things that come out about her now. Like there's probably going to be a lot within the next couple months or years. But that is her story summed up over the course of pretty much an hour. She was the longest reigning monarch in Britain's history and one of the most, if not the most beloved. It's weird to think about with her being gone. I don't want to leave this podcast on like a sad or dour note. It's just more like surreal. It, it doesn't feel real that it's happened. But I mean, I guess that's us all getting old now. 
Well, the thing is, whether I know there are people who did not like her, there's people who hate her, there's people who love her. She has always been there for most of our existence, just the Queen of England. Exactly. Like it or not, she was part of all of our lives. And she will be remembered for many years to come. Thank you to everyone who has listened. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and please join us next time. Goodbye, guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.